But first, to the UK, where the new British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, is dealing with a whole world of challenges. There's a nation in mourning at the death of the Queen and the transition of power to King Charles. And now, Mr Putin has added another layer of complexity to her inbox. Russia's Defence Minister a few hours ago said, we are not fighting with Ukraine, but with the collective West. Ian Dunt is a columnist with the I newspaper and author of How to Be a Liberal. Well, today, Ian, how should Truss be a Prime Minister? How is she likely to respond to the Russian mobilisation? Do we know? Yeah, in a predictably infantile and self-interested way. So she's at the UN. She's going to do a speech uh, where she will promote trickle-down economics, which you may remember from the years of Thatcher and Reagan, pretty comprehensively refuted model of economic performance and indeed moral status of a society. And she's going to deliver that at the UN, say everyone should follow trickle-down economics because that is freedom and that is the way that we challenge Putin. So you may look at that and think, no matter what happened today, she would have framed it around trickle-down economics because that's what she wants to talk about. And you could also suggest that actually focusing on that serves to actually um, separate the Western alliance. Indeed, Joe Biden yesterday tweeted, I've had enough of hearing things about trickle-down economics, which seemed very much like a a very grand subtweet of the British Prime Minister, basically saying, look, don't come into my office and start babbling about this stuff because I've been hearing it for 30 years and it doesn't work. Nevertheless, that, rather than any kind of military solution, is certainly the way that she's going to operate today. Ian, I just have to check in. You tweeted uh, a few hours ago, we reached the apocalypse before breakfast today. What was that in reference to specifically? Is there something on Liz Truss's list that I've missed? No, the the Today programme on the BBC is the sort of uh, flagship sort of current affairs programme. Most people here sort of listen to it between 6 and 9am um, for what's going to go on in politics. And they had Sergei Markov, he's a former Vladimir Putin advisor, on this morning. And I swear to God, it was like it had been directed by Stanley Kubrick. He was just screaming, seemingly at the top of his voice. He, he was The moment the game was, I made my morning cup of coffee and I switched on the radio and the first thing I heard was him shouting, your cities will be targeted, <laughs> which I think was supposed to make us feel afraid. And I just thought it's rather impolite of you to start talking this way before I've had breakfast. Um, so certainly that's the kind of level of rhetoric that we were mm. getting from the Russian state interviewees that were invited onto current affairs programmes this morning. So there's been a, a ratcheting up of rhetoric, shall we, shall we say, it seems, across the board uh, from Putin uh, devotees. But uh, one of the things that is expected to happen at the UN General Assembly is that we're going to see the promise of more support, more military support for Ukraine. Uh, of course, many of these advances... Uh, were made possible by the supply and correct usage of uh, weapons from other countries in the Western alliance. Uh, And the Ukrainians have said, look, this is the proof that if you give us the tools, we can achieve the victory that we've been saying we can achieve. Uh, Does that mean that Truss is expected to join into that? Are we going to see another promise potentially of more military assistance from Britain? Yeah, yeah. In fact, that, and there, there, 
apart from the fringe areas of the hard left and the hard right, both of whom are opposed to British assistance towards Ukraine, because both of them, frankly, like Putin, they very much met in the middle, those guys. But that is, these are fringe elements, you know, 5% on either side. I mean, 90% of the political community in the UK is utterly and completely united in wanting to defend Ukraine. So there is no controversy there whatsoever. Boris Johnson, the one thing that even I would say Boris Johnson got right was shipping as many weapons as he could for the Ukrainians to defend themselves. Liz Truss will follow that policy to the letter. There will be absolutely no change whatsoever in that policy. And I don't think you'll see it until the end of the war. And certainly it's been a really effective policy and not just the way the weapons, but also the intelligence, um, the strategic advice that has been offered by the US, the UK and others. I mean, it, it, at the moment, you know, war is complex and it can change. It seems to have been really very impressive in what it has achieved on the ground in Ukraine. And of course, that is what has triggered the kind of lunatic assertions from Vladimir Putin overnight. Now, she has been dealing with some political issues back home, not disconnected from the war in Ukraine, particularly the soaring energy prices. Uh, And she's been pushing effectively to make the UK less dependent on Russian energy. Are, Are we seeing any uh, moves, new moves, new directions from her? At the moment, the main message overwhelmingly is on tax cuts, it's on the trickle down theory. Um, so she has a fiscal event on Friday, which is basically a collection of it, it's almost brave, and I don't use the word brave in a commendable sense, I mean it to indicate that she's being profoundly stupid. Um, it's almost brave to see her bring forward so many deeply unpopular policies all at the same time. So one of them is to remove the cap from bankers' bonuses, which during a period of economic struggle, to say we're going to get rid of that, no matter what your economic reasoning, is politically quite, quite deranged. The same, if you look at energy, I mean, she wants to reintroduce fracking and to change the level of sort of tremor that you can experience under regulations. Again, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you talk to conservatives or Labour, left-wing or right-wing, people oppose fracking in this country, and yet she's going to push ahead with it. Uh, She's also going to remove or at least reduce stamp duty, the tax that you pay when you buy a home. So, I mean, on pretty much all of these policies, they seem almost tailor-made, almost designed to help the richest in society during an energy crisis which has its worst effects on the poor. And she's sort of oddly proud of saying it. I mean, she'll go on TV and say, you know, that that is basically what we're doing. Why? Because of trickle-down economics. Now, we haven't heard someone talk this way for decades. We haven't heard it since 97 when Tony Blair became Prime Minister. That's when this stuff died as a respectable form of political commentary and she is bringing it back. She's also doing it, by the way, while trying to eradicate any notion of scrutiny or independent empirical information about what she's doing. So she has sacked the permanent secretary, the the most senior position at the Treasury, who would have been stood there saying, look, you want to cut cut taxes at the same time as borrowing. This doesn't look like a very sensible way for you to proceed. So she got rid of him, unprecedented in British constitutional terms. She's also got the Office of Budget Responsibility, which for most chancellors will sit there and go, okay, so the chancellor's saying this, this is the actual independent figures that we can do about the economy, about the level of borrowing, about how long it would take to pay it back. Now, they have just basically told the Office of Budget Responsibility that it is not allowed to publish its report about the fiscal event on Friday. The government is essentially saying, we don't want to see the maths. It's very important for our policies that we don't 
actually come into contact with the maths behind the kind of financial decisions that we're making. So that gives you an indication of the level of sophistication that we're dealing with here. Isn't this effectively, Ian, putting her at war with some of her own key people? I mean, she must be at odds with with Treasury. Um, You know, Rishi Sunak has already described her tax cuts as as irresponsible. So she's not she's not making these pronouncements to unify the party, it would seem. No, that's right. You know, the impression you get from the guys around her, these kind of libertarian economists, quite an odd, motley collection of people. They're not even really Brexiters, funnily enough. Most of these guys didn't really care about Brexit one way or another. They won't remain, they won't leave. They're just a sort of weird subculture of a subculture of economics, very eccentric. Um, And they sort of feel like we've kind of got two years to just do something with her. I mean, it's unclear whether she's really ideologically properly committed to any of this stuff. She she changes positions quite a lot, and she doesn't necessarily seem to have the intellectual substance in order to grasp the words that are coming out of her mouth. They mostly just think, look, we're in trouble here. We've got an economy that's in a worse state than sort of Ted Heath faced decades ago. We've got worse public services than John Major faced, you know, in the 1990s. We haven't got a leader with the charisma of Tony Blair or Boris Johnson. So basically, we've got two years to just try and bludgeon these reforms into the economy. And then they're sort of hoping, almost like a fairy story, really, that they're sort of slumbering British giant of ingenuity that has been constantly held back by socialists and Remainers and Europeans and liberals will wake from its slumber and start, you know, becoming this world-leading economy and blah, blah, blah. It's almost at the level of... In fact, I think it responds better to a religious analysis than it does a political one. But it, but it is pretty extreme, and the policies that are being put out there right now are pretty extreme as well. But she's not dreaming this up on her own, one assumes, Ian. I mean, there must be a a critical mass of opinion somewhere within the party that's, you know, advising her, you know, what we should do is try some of these throwback economic policies because they've kind of gone off the boil and we really like them. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what's funny is, absolutely, on tax cuts, you just need to say the word tax cuts to a Conservative MP and, and they start purring. So they love it. They don't really care about the detail. They just like the words. Um, And yet borrowing without any medium term sense of your fiscal plan for how you're going to get borrowing under control. I mean, the the level of spending that she's talking about right now, just on energy prices alone, we're looking at about 150 billion quid. It's more than they spent throughout the COVID emergency on furlough, paying people, basically supporting the economy, you know, over a sort of two year period wholesale. It's more than they spent on that. Again, all that money will come from borrowing. And instead of actually trying to raise taxes to pay for it, as any sane person would, you would say, look, we're going to help people with their energy prices. We have to have some kind of solidarity tax on high earners that helps to fund this and on the energy companies. Instead of doing that, she's just borrowing more and cutting taxes at the same time. Now, that really should go against the conservative soul. It's not Thatcherism. People call it Thatcherism. It really isn't. Thatcher made sure that she cut public services so that she could fund tax cuts. Now, I might might not like that as someone on the centre-left, but it at least has its own internal consistency. That is not what Truss is doing. If anything, it's sort of as if it's like drunk Reaganism. Or if it is Thatcherism, it's a kind of Corbynite Thatcherism. So really... Oddly, philosophically, this is kind of a weird challenge to traditional Tory thought, but they don't seem able to properly grasp that yet. 
Okay, moving moving away from drunk Reaganism, which is a brilliant new category that I'm adding to my list of uh, political <laughs> styles. Um, in the funeral, we need to talk about it a little with you. Uh, after all, you're in the country where it was all going on. It was quite a spectacle, uh, um, certainly watching it from afar, harking back, it feels, to you know, Britain's former status as a, as a great world power. How did the optics of it, how, how did the... I suppose the the, um, the presentation, the pomp of it, feel to you. I mean, sort of oddly cold, really. I didn't get much from it. I, I quite like the drums, and and weirdly, I really like the bagpipes. I tend to think that the bagpipe is the most dreadful instrument known to humankind. But on that day, for some reason, every time it played, I, I actually found it quite moving, and I liked it. But the service itself just had no content apart from the boilerplate religious stuff. I've never understood how anyone finds any kind of reassurance in religious messaging at funerals. It just sounds like just this sort of cardboard shield against existential terror. It has no real sort of meaning. Well, or I'd, any I'd imagine if you're someone who's like, if you're a person of belief, it probably has some, some particular meaning for you that perhaps... Oh, I'm, I'm sure. It, no, I'm absolutely certain that it does for them, but it doesn't have any to me. Um, so I thought that was largely quite empty. I thought the most meaningful moments that we had around this really came from the queue. And I don't know how much coverage you guys had of the queue. Oh, we had the queue. Um, we, we had a lot right, of the queue. Okay, we, yeah. we, I mean, I, we got to oddly, know people the, in the queue, you know, on a first name <laughs> right. basis. I mean, look, it's unbelievably weird. It's an unbelievably strange thing for someone to have done. And yet I thought the queue was quite touching. And I think I, I think that was the general sense of it was quite orderly, it was eccentric. It was good-natured. It was sort of egalitarian, you know, in that everyone had to, you know, David Beckham had to wait in line just like anybody else had to wait <laughs> in line. It was human, Ian. Wasn't that, wasn't that exactly. the point of it? It was human. Listen, we have to leave it there, but it's been a pleasure, Ian Dunn. Thanks for joining us. Not at all. That's Ian Dunn, columnist with the iNewspaper and a regular here on LNL. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.